Another thing that I'm pretty excited about that I want to cast a vision for this morning is actually a little later in the fall, something we're doing called the Mount from Memory. The Mount from Memory. It's a challenge. Uh, For the next few weeks, uh, Jonas and I and Andrew and even a few others are going to be preaching from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus's teaching from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And at the end of this series, we want to do something kind of fun. We want to service on Thanksgiving weekend where the sermon is going to be the entire Sermon on the Mount shared with you from memory. From memory. That's right. Hence the name, the Mount from memory. And so I'm inviting six of you, maybe a little more, to take the challenge. We had six this morning. Actually, I think we got seven from the nine o'clock service. They're going to take the challenge. And what that means is you're going to agree to memorize a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And then on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we will share the entire Sermon on the Mount, which takes about 15, 20 minutes to share from memory. Now, We will give you some little cheat codes on the back wall, but you're not going to be able to read it or to have anything in your hand. We're just going to share the entire sermon from Jesus from memory. So if you are interested in taking the challenge, I'm going to invite you right after this service just to meet me over here. And I'm actually going to share with you the plan a little bit about the Mount from memory. Now, let me just ask, like, poll the audience. Is anybody already interested in taking the Mount for Memory Challenge? Oh boy, we got one. We got one. Let me, let me pose it a little different way. Are any of you interested in learning more about the Mount for Memory Challenge? Okay, great. That's a little more encouraging. So if you'll just join me right over here, I got everything mapped out. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, you'll learn all that it entails and it will be a great Sunday from the Sermon on the Mount. Speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, the final verse in Matthew chapter 4, as we begin a new series today on the Sermon from the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 contains one of the largest teaching portions of Jesus anywhere in the New Testament. The audience that he had gathered was getting larger and larger. And we know that from Matthew chapter 4 verse 25 where the audience, the places they live is beginning to grow. It says, and great crowds followed Jesus from Galilee. That's the area around the Sea of Galilee. The Decapolis, the 10 cities from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan, even on the other side of the river, Larger and larger groups are gathering to hear Jesus. And Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 tells us how Jesus responds. It says, and seeing the crowds, he goes up to a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Disciples there, not just the 12 disciples that we think of, but the audience, the crowd, the listeners, the students who want to hear from Jesus, the teacher. And he chooses a hillside or a mountainside. Now we sometimes think of mountains like these monstrous, enormous peaks, but actually it's more of a a kind of an eastern Kentucky rolling hill, if you can imagine. 
And there are some reasons why maybe he chose this setting. It could be that there was an acoustic ability. If he gets a little higher, the crowd is on a descending side, maybe they can hear better. It could even be that it's so that they can see better. If you think of a, an auditorium or a concert venue where the seating is a bit sloped so that you can see the presenters a little better. But I think there's probably even another reason Jesus chose the setting. It was certainly to be able to teach them and for them to hear him. But I think it also has to do with the concept of an elevated life. An elevated life. Jesus in this sermon is going to help elevate their understanding of what it means to live a kingdom life. The Sermon on the Mount is about God's kingdom. It's about living in God's kingdom. And a variety of issues will be presented that were very applicable to them in that day. Interestingly enough, those same issues are applicable and relevant to us now. And Jesus wanted to cast their eyes into something more elevated. Not elevated in altitude, but elevated in attitude and in perspective and in understanding. That he wanted to cast something before them that would give them a better picture, a clearer picture of what God's kingdom really looks like. And it was certainly at times difficult for them to hear. For some of the subjects are actually very, very hard and difficult to receive. But we're going to tackle these and hear from Jesus and let him be the one speaking to us. And this morning, we're actually going to start in verse 21 of Matthew 5. And I recognize that's a little further into the text and not that the opening session, sections of the sermon is, are unimportant. But I want to focus on one of those major kingdom issues that Jesus mentions, and that's the issue of anger. Anger. Jesus is going to call them to put the fire out. A-S-A-P. Uh, several weeks ago, months ago now, some of you know our family had about a 10-day trip to Alaska. We had been preparing for the better part of a year to go up north uh, making all the arrangements. This was going to be another national parks journey for our family. And as we were flying in, one of the things that we noticed, of course, when you fly to Alaska, it's kind of light all day long. It doesn't really get very dark, especially in the summer. But we could look out over the windows and we could actually see what we thought were actually clouds, but then we discovered that it was smoke. Enormous, enormous billows of smoke and fire. Uh, we landed and we came through those uh, airport doors. And as soon as you stepped outside into the open air, you could smell it. Uh, we were still masking at that time. And so we had our masks on in the airport. And as you went to pull them off, you smelled the smoke and you put them right back on because it was so powerful. Uh, you would even feel it in your eyes. I mean, it was smoky everywhere. Uh, the next day we got up and we learned on the news that in and around Alaska, which is an enormous state, there were over 350 fires burning. I mean, millions, possibly more than millions of acres were on fire. And the smoke was so thick as it was coming in, 
it was clouding out even the things that we would expect to see. I mean, we had planned to go up our very first day to Denali National Park, which is the Denali. This is the biggest mountain in all of the Western Hemisphere, the tallest peak. And we were warned, you might not see it because of all the smoke. And even beyond that, we were cutting through the highway and on each side of us was supposed to be part of the Alaskan mountain line. And we couldn't even see the mountains because of all the smoke. I mean, you could see the base of them, but you couldn't see it. And and I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm already having day one on this vacation, some buyer's remorse. I mean, we traveled all the way to Alaska to see the mountains and the landscape, and I can't see anything but smoke. I mean, I can make a silly little fire in my backyard to look at that, not pay X amount of dollars to get up here to see smoke. Uh, We watched the news and Hundreds of firefighters were on the front lines in trying to put these fires out. They were doing the airplanes with all the water drops and the retardant drops. They were doing the bulldozers to cut the the brush lines so that it wouldn't continue to burn. They had hotspot firefighters who were trying to put these things out with hose and with axe. They were doing everything in their power to stop the fires from moving. But some of it was just gonna have to burn itself out. Some of it was just gonna have to eventually put itself out because in a summer where there was dry ground and dry vegetation, it's just natural. And the good people of Alaska, they knew this was just part of it. That, you know, sometimes things are going to burn. Forests are going to be completely decimated. And generations, generations from this point forward, we'll look back at some of these summer fires and still continue to see the disaster that they caused. And in a similar way, in a similar fashion, anger that's fiery and hot and left unchecked, unresolved, let to just fester and brood and seethe and consume are like fires that will have generations of devastation. Communities of faith that will be destroyed. Families and marriages sometimes that will be absolutely decimated. Because anger fiery, hot anger that's left unchecked can absolutely cause havoc. And Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount points to the reality that anger is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to just cast away as, oh, we just have a little conflict or we, oh, we have just a little frustration or, oh, I just got a little bone to pick with so-and-so. Jesus actually cast anger as something so serious and so important that he tells us, you got to put the fire out because kingdom people don't live in a consuming fire. Hear his words in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Jesus says, now you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And Jesus has some words about anger here. And I just want to make four reflections, four observations taking Jesus' words and trying to couch them in the context of his day, but also into our time. I mean, Jesus makes the illustration or makes the, the connection that anger is like a murder. Anger is like a murder. Now, we don't think in those terms. We don't think in those categories. We don't put anger, I'm upset with someone, I'm angry with someone in the same context as I actually take a life or attempt a life. We would never put anger in the same category as murder, but Jesus wants to cast that picture. You see, what he's doing here, and what he'll do in the next few passages that we'll read in the coming weeks, is he's taking an Old Testament commandment, one of the instructions that God had given to the people years ago and they understood it in a certain way but Jesus is wanting to cast it in a kingdom light what does God's kingdom look like and so as you read in verse 21 he starts with you have heard that it was said to those of old you know this commandment you shall not murder that's in the 10 commandments they are familiar of such things And that whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That actually comes from the book of Leviticus. That if someone actually commits murder, there is a judgment to be placed on taking a life. But verse 22, but I say, but Jesus says to us that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That anger with a brother, again, this is kingdom language, anger with a fellow member of God's faith family, of the brothers and sisters in Christ, of the household of faith. If there is an anger present in the life of a believer, in the life of one of God's kids, it's like they are going forward with the action of murder. And there is a judgment for such. I mean, anger, friends, is not something that Jesus prescribes kingdom people. I mean, wrath and rage is not something that should be present in the heart of someone who has been saved by the blood of the lamb. He goes on to even initiate that if you try to insult people and provoke people and entice people, whether by your words or by your actions or your deeds, I mean, this is just completely unlike what kingdom people do. Man, do we have a lot of this in our world. And we have a lot of this in our day. There's there's jokes about peoples and feuds and rivalries, the Hatfields and the McCoys and the blood rivalry that existed for generations. 
But the reality is, if you try to put in our court system, everybody who got angry with each other is equivalent to the people who murder, I mean, our court systems would be overflowing. We filled to the brim. I mean, if the police had to come and arrest every single person who got angry, how busy would our police be? They would be book solid. Because anger is so present. Anger is so real. Most of us, if not all of us, in honesty, we deal with anger, anger toward this person, anger toward that person, anger toward this group. And sometimes that's even anger inside of the household of faith. Goodness, it may be that some of the people you go to church with make you the most angry. Don't say amen to that, please. But Jesus is calling us to the reality that anger is like a murder. Something inside of the heart has changed. He's alerting us to the seriousness and the potential devastation that can be a result of unchecked, unresolved, unreconciled anger. And friends, he wants us to know that anger is serious to God. Anger is serious. What can seem like something small, what can seem like something little, what can seem like a spark in a forest can result in a wide-reaching fire. And it can lead to something down the road that the Bible describes as hatred. An unchecked conflict, an unchecked frustration over the years can result in something that's described as hatred in the heart. And hatred in the heart and a love of God are completely incompatible. They can't dwell together. They can't reside together. Now listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It speaks of this incompatibility. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he cannot or whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's an incompatibility. Anger that's left unchecked, anger that's left unresolved, eventually can continue and grow into a hatred. And hatred in the heart of the believer, in the heart of the woman or man for God, then pushes away or excludes that which is devotion to God. They can't dwell in the same house or in the same heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says this, sounding very similar to what Jesus says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. For you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The eternal life that comes through a relationship with Christ, the eternal life, Jesus says, I have come to give life and life abundantly, John 10, 10. It can't dwell with a heart that's rending toward hatred and anger and hostility and wrath and provoking more and more fire. They can't live together. Therefore, James actually gives us a prescription, gives us a suggestion. He says this in James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. It's all there. Let every person... Every believer be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce 
the righteousness of God. Be quick. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak and slow to become angry. I heard once God was wise giving us two ears and one mouth because we need to listen two times as much as we talk. Can I get an amen on that maybe? I remember it in a little different way. Maybe some of you who teach elementary school or those of you who've had grandkids, you remember the fox? Remember the fox? Ears open, mouth shut. Y'all don't know the fox, do you? You don't know the fox? Oh, this is a great technique for kiddos. Kiddos, the fox rocks. The fox's ears are open and its mouth is shut. Man, that worked on me like a trick as a kid. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I needed ears open, mouth shut a whole lot more than I had mouth open, ears shut. The fox rocks, folks. Come on. Educators, put that into tactic this week. The fo- Emily, come on. Fox rocks. Others of you, the fox rocks. You know, the concept there is we should be more apt to listen and less apt to speak and slow to get angry. Because there's an incompatibility there. When anger forms, there will not be produced righteousness of God. When anger forms, there will not be the fruits of the Spirit. When anger forms, there will be an, a pushing away of love of God and love of neighbor and love of devotion to Him who has created us. And in exchange, the fire will form and it will impact everything. Everything. Anger impacts everything around us. Jesus gives an example of one of those things that anger even impacts our ability to worship. Anger impacts our worship. I mean, this is the example that Jesus gives in verse 23 and 24. Jesus, in alluding to the anger, he actually mentions, so an example, an illustration, if you are offering your gift and there, remember, oh my gosh, oh, I forgot. It just came to my mind. I got a brother who has something against me. Not that I have something against them, but somebody's got something against me. Leave your gift there at the altar and go. Leave. I mean, the people then hearing this on the hillside would immediately know what Jesus is talking about because in their day and in their time, part of the worship practice of the tabernacle since the time of Moses and certainly of the temple was part of their offering would be to bring something to the altar, maybe a dove or maybe a a lamb or a goat, an animal sacrifice, but it could also be their tithes, their gifts. And that offering would be part of their worship. It would be part of their praise. It would be thanksgiving to God and even confession and repentance of sin they were regularly bringing an offering before the Lord. And Jesus says, when you're doing that regular practice of worship, and then in the process, you remember you have somebody has got a problem with you. Just stop right where you are, leave the gift and go. I mean, it would be the equivalent of us gathering here together and then right there in the middle of the song or right in the middle of the sermon, a bunch of us just get up and leave. 
because we have reflected, we got a problem. We got something going on. I mean, Jesus says, first, be reconciled. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Get things right relationally so that you can worship more freely. Friends, let me, let me lay some truth to you here. Especially if there's a conflict within the household of faith, within the family of God, you will have a disruption and an interruption in your worship if you're not in fellowship with your brothers and sisters. I mean, you can't sing praise to God knowing that three rows over or on the other section is some way you got a problem with. You can't hear from the Lord in his word if someone is at odds with you. If there is a disruption relationally, there is going to be an interruption in your worship. And therefore, Jesus prescribes the first word of application. Stop your worship. Stop your offering. Stop your gathering and go first and be reconciled. Because Jesus knows that a fire left unchecked, unresolved, will continue to consume and destroy. Friends, he invites us to put the fire out as soon as possible. Put the fire out as soon as possible. As a follower of Christ, one who has been saved by the blood of Jesus, who has the indwelling spirit of God living in us, why would you want to let the fires of anger burn on? You have God's spirit in you. You have Jesus' blood covering you. You have a relationship with God, the creator. Why would you let a fire destroy and devastate unchecked, unresolved? I mean, think of it this way. Let's pretend you're in your, your dining room and you're having dinner with your family and just out of the corner of your eye, you notice something in your kitchen catches on fire. You know, something starts your stove or your oven starts bursting into flame. You wouldn't say to your dinner family, Look, just keep eating. We'll get in a minute. How was your day? How was work? Oh yeah, I smell the smoke too. I feel the flame that's burning the side of my face, but we'll get it, we'll get it. We'll clean it up in a minute. Don't worry. Enjoy your meal. That sounds idiotic, doesn't it? Because you know you got to put that fire out. You got to get in there and call 911 or try to find the fire extinguisher that none of us really remember where it is and hope that we figure out how to take the plug out and get it to hose down the fire. I mean, you got to do something quick. I remember several, several years ago when I was on church staff, our Faith family had come together on Christmas Eve to have a candlelight Christmas Eve service. And this was back in the day when you still used real candles. Y'all remember those days? You know, with the little uh, cone that protected you from getting wax on your hands. And I was working in the, in the sound booth uh, media team. I was running the, the projection, just doing my own little thing, making sure everything looked right and the lights were working and the lyrics were right. And we were singing Silent Night. It was the last part of the service. And as you know about many of those Christmas Eve services, all the lights go off and everybody gets their candle out and the pastor usually comes to the Christ candle and lights one candle and then goes to several points. Are y'all following with me? You're, you know this practice? Probably have it here at Valley Creek. 
I'm in the sound booth and I'm right in front of me, like just right up here is one of our uh, young women. She's home from college break and she's with her family. I knew them well and she's holding her candle. And you know, silent night, everybody's singing. Oh, what a wonderful moment, you know, all lit up. And her mother's right here and mama says something to her kind of quietly. And this young woman didn't hear what her mother said. So she leaned over to hear her mom. And you know what happened. The whole side of her head went up in flames. Just the side of her hair caught on fire. And I'm in the sound booth and I'm freaking out. Because we got a fire and it's not like one of the candles. It's a person's head. And her mama, with, with just poise and delicacy, her mama sees her daughter's head now on fire, picks the coat up from off the back of the chair, throws it over her daughter's head and just starts smacking her daughter's head. Just whipping her daughter's head. I mean, it was a whole thing. But somehow, even in the craziness of that, she had the wherewithal to actually hand her lit candle to her husband while picking up the coat and smacking her daughter's head. It was a thing. I mean, you could smell burnt hair. Do y'all know what burnt hair smells like? Oh, it was all, I mean, us in the sound booth, I mean, our eyes are bugging out of our head. What are we supposed to do? But mama acted quickly. I mean, mama knew her baby girl's head was on fire and she had to put it out. I mean, it, it was funny. I, even even uh, to tell the rest of the story. So before she went back to college in the spring semester, she got a little different haircut because she had long hair and no hair. And still to this day, it only happens every once in a while, but still to this day, the staff and I who remember that occasion, we refer to that as the Aquanet Christmas. <laughs> and actually last year, my, my, he was my worship pastor. He sends me a text message on Christmas that just says Aquanet. <laughs> and I wrote back those little emojis with the fire, fireballs, you know, little fire flames. Mom acted quickly to put the fire out. Gave the candle, grabbed the coat, smacked her daughter. Because fire, if she would have, I mean, she acted in milliseconds. I mean, just instantaneous. But if she would have left, I mean, her daughter's injuries would have been disastrous. I mean, goodness, it would have, it was, it, her hair was on fire. I, I, I mean, you know, that terminology, running around like your hair is on fire, literal situation in our Christmas Eve service, which is why still to this day, they got rid of real candles and now use those little flashlighty things. I think that's what you're gonna use here this Christmas. Mom didn't let the fire go on. Jesus recommends that we quickly, without hesitation, without indecision, that we react to put the fire out. And actually later in Jesus's ministry in Matthew chapter 18, he gives the steps to put the fire out. He gives the instructions on how to put the fire out. And I just wanna briefly close on this because some of you may say, Shane, actually I'm dealing with an issue in my life. I'm dealing with a fire that's burning and I need to know what to do. Well, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you or if you possibly have sinned against your brother, Go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. Not on social media, not to friends, 
not to family members, but the two of you alone, quietly, privately, independently of everyone else. And the spirit there, the spirit is exactly what Jesus prescribed to Peter when Peter said, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven, is that enough? And Jesus says, no, it's 70 times seven. That the spirit that is going, whether the conflict has been long or short, the spirit that comes, it's a spirit of forgiveness. It's a spirit of reconciliation. It's a spirit of wanting to be restored. It's not to incend the fire more or to make the fire spread. It's a desire to put the fire out to be resolved and reconciled. And then Jesus, it says, if that doesn't work, if there is no resolution then, verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Now this is to not bring in a lawyer, but to bring in a trusted, spiritually wise, mature believer who can walk alongside. Someone that can have the, Again, the spirit of of reconciliation, it's not to get someone on your team against them two on one. It's not to gang up, but it's to bring someone in who can listen and carefully guide toward resolution and guide toward reconciliation. Jesus does give a level three. If these two steps don't work, he mentions in verse 17, if they still refuse, then tell it to the church. And I will tell you this, in my 20 plus years of ministry, When folks start at level three, it burns brightly. But if you start at level one, it rarely ever gets to level three. If we take time alone with the person, the individual, if we really seek forgiveness and reconciliation and seek a spirit of being reunited, the chances of it ever getting to the public forum of the faith family is very, very slim. Problem is, we do the sequence backwards. We tell everybody first. And the person may not even know there's a problem. Been an offense. I mean, it's completely different than what we might suggest. Well, let me invite the praise team to join me as I close this message. I just want to ask you this morning. Have you let the fire burn too long? Have you, for for whatever reason, chosen not to react, not to resolve, not to put the fire out? Friends, my invitation to you is not to think it lightly, but to recognize that there can be generations impacted by indecision or non-reconciling the relationship. We started in Alaska. Let me close in Alaska. We were there for eight, nine days, and eventually as the storms and the clouds moved and moved and moved, we just kept having to get further and further away from the fires. There was a day we went out, I mean, a long drive to one of the more remote national parks, And it was really for the first time that we actually got to see the mountains. Got to see the beauty of God's creation. And I remember thinking, there was something about seeing it clearly then that made me have a way greater appreciation for what God had done. It was only being able not to see through the smoke 
that I really got a picture of what it looked like to be clear and beautiful and open. And sometimes we have been so clouded by the smoke and the fire and the feelings and the long-term frustration that we haven't seen clearly in some time. And you're missing out on some of God's beauty and some of God's glorious work in your life because the fire's still burning. Would it be time to put it out? Time to put it to an end. Time to put it away. Would you pray with me? So God, I come to you right now and I thank you that Jesus spoke to real issues that we certainly face every day of our lives. And I pray, God, right now, if there be any of my brothers and sisters in faith that are dealing with a lingering fire, by your spirit, you would point them to be reconciled. Point them to forgive. Point them to seek restoration. To not let the fire continue burning, continue destroying continuing to go unchecked. Maybe right now, this very moment, you're laying on the hearts of these men and women, these young people, the situation that's still burning, that needs to be resolved. And may they will leave this gathering and go straight to the point of seeking forgiveness and healing, wherever that may be. God, we come to you now in a spirit of response. And if there be anything your spirit needs to lead us to do, guiding us to do, I pray that we would be obedient. For your presence is near. And when your word is preached and declared, you call people to follow you in obedience. So whatever the response may be, God, I pray that we would respond appropriately now. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.